1: and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
0: Welcome one and all to Storybox, the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning, growth, anyone to improve your life. My name is Jay Phantom and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I am truly grateful that you have decided to listen in today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Just as Christmas came so quickly, it ended so quickly. I hope you guys are recovering well from all the amazing food that you must have had during your Christmas break and enjoying the time with your friends and family. But I'm going to keep it going, my friends, to keep the energy running because I have none other than Kerwin Ray on the podcast today. Now, if you don't know who Kerwin is, he is Australia's leading business strategist and high-performance specialist. He's helping over 100,000 businesses in 154 different industries throughout 11 countries worldwide with his revolutionary, mo- no bullcrap approach to business growth and personal transformation. Unlike other coaches or consultants who offer entrepreneurs and growth seekers at best pieces to the puzzle, his Events and programs have a comprehensive blueprint for success and are designed to accelerate results fast within a purpose-built community thriving with culture. Having failed nearly every subject at school, something I can almost relate to, battling addiction like myself and encountering uh, six near-death experiences. Mine is three, so he just doubled that, uh, including a stroke, which almost nearly killed him as well. Kerwin's ability to conquer the odds is second to none and you guys are going to hear a lot about that in this interview and how he goes about doing uh, all that stuff and and his, his real mindset when it comes to um, encountering difficult situations in life, which is quite fascinating. Um, but Kerwin's appeal lies in his unique approach to share the trials, tribulations, vulnerabilities and adversities that we're all so familiar with. And he also equips clients and audiences with the tools and capabilities to break through barriers, unlock their true potential, and become unstoppable. He has one of um, one of my favourite podcasts to listen to, which is Unstoppable with Kerwin Ray. He's got some amazing guests on there, which I highly encourage each and every one of you to listen to. This Kerwin, the entrepreneur, has reached millions of people across the globe with his extensive social media following of well over a million people and compelling content, which covers business, mindset, psychology, high performance health, parenting, and relationships, which are just some of the things that we touch on during this conversation as well. So I know you guys are going to get a lot from this one. Kerwin has also appeared in mainstream media for his cutting edge business in publications such as The Australian, The Sydney Morning Herald. The Financial Review and Think Big Magazine. And Cohen has also shared the stage with legendary names such as Sir Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, Mark Boris and Sir Alan Sugar to name but a few. And like I said, we cover a lot in this conversation that I know is going to build you up and improve you and keep you guys thriving in your life right now. Kirwan is one of the best speakers out there in the game, he's one of the best performers and you guys are going to learn not just his story but the tools necessary for you guys to become better and to become unstoppable in your own life. I love this conversation. Be warned though, there is a little bit of swearing in this episode, so uh, I just wanted to pre-warn you all, but don't let that distract you from the amazing story that you are about to listen to. If you do get something from this, please share it around to your friends and your family. I am making it easier now for each and every one of you to be able to find the story box. I have uh, now officially moved from Anchor over to a different hosting service, um, and they're great. Honestly, it's making the whole um, finding the story box the everything just so seamless. so really appreciate the guys over at acast for helping me out uh, over there. Also uh, please leave a rating and review if you do love this episode. It goes a long way once again to building this incredible community of like-minded individuals that we can use stories to help motivate, inspire, challenge, educate, and influence in the right possible ways. You guys are going to be the next leaders in our society and we need good leaders. We don't need bad ones, we need good ones. So, I mean, that is your choice, but I hope to influence you guys in in the positive way. So, with that all being said, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to dive into the story box, learn as much as we possibly can, and hear the story from none other than Kerwin Ray.
1: He is brother. Really good to be here.
0: Thank you so much, man, for taking the time out of your very, very busy schedule. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah. I've, I've,
1: it's good to be here, Jay.
0: I've uh, looked forward to this conversation for quite some time now, man. You've, you've shared the stage with some legendary icons such as Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, Mark Boris, and just to name a few. Um, you have quite a bit of success, you could say, over your, your career. And my first question to you, which I asked pretty much all my guests to start off with is what does success look like to you?
1: Look, that's a, that's a really good question. And if you had asked me that same question, maybe 25, 26 years ago, it would have looked very, di- the answer would have been very different. Um, success to me right now is um, being surrounded, being, look, I think fundamentally for me right now, success is being happy. And, you know, and it's where we are able to express our values that enable us to feel that things are important, um, you know, and that for me right now is family. And so, yeah, I, uh, my success to me is being happy and being surrounded by my family. And I feel like I'm absolutely slaying it right now. So, yeah. And I think once we do that, we shift away from, you know, because a lot of people would say, what does success look like to you? And everyone can have a whole range of answers to that. But I think it's, it's different for every person. I don't think there's right or wrong but for me, you know, over time, as I've learnt, um, success, you know, at one stage I would have thought it was money, then I had it and realised it wasn't. Uh, I would have thought at one stage it was health and I had it and I re- realised it wasn't. I, I realised, you know, success is a combination of a number of things that are when you express them that are important to you and they you to feel, you know, a particular way. And for me, that's feeling peaceful and happy.
0: I love that, man. When was the moment for you that you sort of, because you mentioned there earlier that if I had asked you 25 years ago, it would have been a different story altogether. I'm curious, when was the moment for you that you sort of realized that success for you was actually happiness and being amongst your family? I don't
1: think it was a moment per se. I think it was moments, you know, because I think everybody thinks they know what success looks like until they get there and go, shit. You know, because to me, people look at success as sometimes a goal that will get them somewhere that they're not and make them feel in a certain, you know, a different way. Um, And for me, yeah, I, I, as I said, I grew up, voids breed values. We didn't have a lot of money. And so as a result, I had this massive value towards money. And so for a very long time growing up, I placed a massive value on money and the ability to make money. And I pursued money thinking that once I reached a certain enough, then I'd had everything that I thought was missing when I was a kid. Uh, and that day never came, you know, and once I, you know, spent enough money to work out that uh, it was in vain, you know, I took the time to reflect and I actually took seven months off and traveled around the world, um, uh, on a journey of self-discovery, you know, to try and find out, you know, who I was and what was really important to me. And it was probably one of the best things I've done, but there's been many moments, you know, throughout my life where I've had to redefine or evolve what success means to me. And, you know i think for me yeah it's, it's hard to blend into just one
0: i'm curious about the journey of self discovery how you went uh, abroad and traveled the world for seven months um what did you learn abroad about yourself and about the world during that seven month period because it is a long time to travel
1: it's a long time it's a lo- the most time i'd ever taken off in my life at that point in seven months i learned that um it was okay to get bored um, but I, I learned a lot about myself, but the, 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 the jokes on me, cause the funniest thing is, is I didn't, I still remember as we landed in Sydney, uh, me, I was by myself, I did the whole trip by myself. So I, and as I landed in Sydney, um, I just remember thinking to myself, huh? Cause I still hadn't necessarily at this point, even after seven months found what I thought I was looking for. I just knew I was looking in the wrong place and I went looking out there in experiences. And when I landed, I was like, ah, oh, shit. I just went, damn, I've been looking in the wrong place, you know, cause even, you know, cause I was trying to find inner peace. I was trying to find inner happiness. And, you know, I, when I traveled the world for seven months, I went to, you know, some of my spiritual destinations on the planet and everywhere I went, I was waiting for f- some form of a fucking Yoda to roll out and go, mm, I've been waiting for you. Mm, you're now fixed. And, you know, it didn't happen. Like I, I did Machu Picchu and I convinced, you know, 15 very mature, normally quite sensible people to treat, you know, our, our normal four day hike to Machu Picchu like, an an adventure race and run it because I just knew it much a you. I was going to find something I was looking for. I was going to find more of me, you know, and I did this for seven months, you know, chasing from thing to thing to thing. And all I'd done was gone from trying to look at money as the object or to, you know, cars or houses or women as the object. And all of a sudden I was now looking at experiences as the object. And I was going, well, if I can't find myself in, a, in an object, maybe I can find myself in an experience. I found a lot about myself, but it wasn't until I um, really landed that I was like, shit. And again, that I started a whole new cascade of different journeys, you know, in the inner realms.
0: Can I just say that was an insanely
1: good Yoda voice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Damn.
1: Big fan. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Far out. Um, What age were you when you actually went on this journey?
1: Like I'm I'm shit with chronology. It's about 25, 26, I think I was, 25,
0: 26. So around similar similar age of of me. I'm 24 at the moment and I kind of went, I didn't travel, but I went on a journey last year of discovering who I am and sure. what, I, what I really wanted in life and finding my purpose. And I feel like a lot of young people, they sort of get stuck when they get to get to the challenges and they don't really know, like they feel mm. kind of worthless and like all are chasing something for such a long time. And then when they get to it, they don't, they don't feel satisfied or fulfilled. And what I'm curious about Cohen is like, I want to go to your origin story a little bit and ask you, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you like, I know you wanted to make a lot of money.
1: money that i can remember dot was a vet um because you know my mum used to ca- um describe me as dr doolittle because i could talk to the animals um and i should you not even to this day i i have a, a weird affinity for animals of all shapes and sizes um i love animals and so for the longest time it was a vet it was a vet 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 uh, and then along came top gun and then it was a fighter pilot <laughs> And, um, you know, and then it was around that age because I think I was, you know, 11, 12 when Top Gun came out. Um, but, and to give context, I, at the time, my best mate was his parents used to own the, the, the kiosk at the pool and the cinema at the Laverick Barracks in Townsville. And so I owned the cinema and every night of the week they were playing Top Gun and every night of the week, like at least four nights a week, I was sitting in front row at that cinema watching Top Gun. So I've seen Top Gun, I don't know, probably a thousand times. Uh, I used to be able to recite the whole script, but I just became fascinated with fighter pilots and the dynamics and the stress and everything else. But after that and I started to mature, um, I really had eyes on being a professional athlete. And this might surprise people, but you know, for a very long time I wanted to be a professional bodybuilder. And I don't I actually haven't mentioned that to a lot of people, but I was a competitive bodybuilder from the age of 14 or 15, I should say, uh to 19. And so during that period, you know, there was a very strong period of time where, you know, I was like, mm you know, maybe I could, maybe I should. Um, but that was, yeah, that was, uh, not something that I ended up going for. I had an accident when I was 15 or, uh, just when this actually started to happen. Um, or I started to have this obsession, I guess you could say, and that kind of changed the course of, uh, of my journey in a very significant way.
0: Was that sort of like your very first near death experience when you had the accident?
1: Yeah, that was my very first like proper near death experience. Fell on a broken bottle, cut my nerves, all my nerves, all my tendons, main artery. You know, I had a pump of blood coming out at, you know, almost three quarters of a meter. Uh, 13 and a half hours of microsurgery and two blood transfusions. So it was, uh, you know, it was a significant event.
0: So you were almost faced with death. And I'm curious, like when someone does go through a near death experience, what was going through your brain during that time?
1: Well, I still remember at the time as a kid thinking it wasn't real when it happened. Um, But then after the fact, it didn't really land as a mortality incident until a lot lot later because as a 15-year-old kid, you don't really put everything into context um, you know, and so for me at the time, I didn't see it as a near death experience. I saw it as a dis- disabling experience because, you know, I was told I would be disabled and I wouldn't be able to use my hand. And I had to work very hard just to get my hand back from, you know, a 20% function to 80% function. I'm still working on the other, you know, the other 20%. And that, that period of time created not so much, a, a, an awareness of, you know, appreciation for life, but it, gave me an enormous appreciation for struggle because I was off school for nine months. I was in rehab every single day six days a week, hour and a half on a bus into the city, uh, hour and a half to two hours in rehab, hour and a half out. I was doing that six days a week, mate. So I couldn't go to school, you know, and not that I was fucking missing anything. I I failed every subject from year one to year 12, you know, I was diagnosed ADHD and dyslexic at the age of seven. Um, So for me, I wasn't missing out on anything, but I was missing out on a lot of the social context, but it was an incredibly emotionally and mentally traumatic experience at the age of 15, you know, already being aware of the fact that you're academically, you know, declined or labeled that way at that point of life anyway. And thinking the only object, the only way you're going to create success in life is through some form of physical activity because I was very gifted in sport and physical activity. uh, And then that happened. And I was just like, dealing with that as a 15-year-old kid, you know, I I started asking bigger questions like, what what am I going to do with my life, you know? Um, so it was quite significant and I learned how to deal with suffering. I learned how to deal with pain. I learned how to do things and defy the odds the, you know, I still remember sitting down with the doctor, the surgeon after 12 months of rehab, the, I wanted, they wanted to give me a, an, uh, an assessment and I started doing this and he goes, Oh my God, what you're doing is medically impossible, you know? And so for a lot of people, you know, I was told what I wanted from my hand was impossible. And I still even remember in, um, in rehab, there was a couple of situations where, you know, I, I think everyone at home, if they can see this as a video, like just touch the tips of your fingers. Cause you know, you take that for granted. That took me about 10 months to do. And, you know, I used to sit there shaking, just trying to touch my pinky against my thumb or, you know, or any one of these fingers. And I'd be sitting there and I'd have tears streaming down my eyes. And, but you know, and I feel for the the, the ladies that supported me through rehab because I used to see this kid just torture himself every single day at the table. I'd torture myself to the point of tears and that one time one of the ladies came up to me and she goes, just let it go. It's okay. It's not coming back. And I just remember going, Rah! you know, and I got even, and even angrier and that produced, you know, uh, as I said, it was a significant trauma, produced a lot of anger, you know, which in itself fueled a whole range of behaviors that taught me an enormous amount about myself.
0: Mm, there's so much to unbox there. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that I'm curious about is how have you been able to manage? because you have a lot of, I guess, traumatic experiences throughout your life. How have you been able to manage that trauma to this day? That's a great question. Uh, yeah. How have you been able to do it?
1: Learn how, uh, by virtue of being exposed to a disproportionate number of traumas, you know, and then, you know, I guess experiencing the consequences of that biologically, physically, and mentally, it put me on a path where I wanted to discover how do I regulate these systems that feel so out of whack? Because when you experience a trauma and I, you know, I had what I'd call, yeah, you know, PTSD is a spectrum, but I had moderate to severe PTSD for a good 20, 25 years. Um, and, you know, to give you context, my, everyone's PTSD is, you know, it presents differently mine and you know, I'd have an activation. There'd be some kind of a small stress or a stress or an event or something happening that would trigger me emotionally and I could calm myself down. But what happened is my, card, my my cardiovascular system wouldn't, you know, I'd have, I'd be at hundred, 110 beats a minute, sometimes for five to 10 days. And I've delivered countless events like that. I've delivered, you know, you know, I haven't had an activation now in almost two years, but I had to learn to live that way. You know, whereas most people that would happen, they go, oh, I can't work for a week. You know, oh, I'm out for a week. And I, I don't disrespect people who take the time out to look after themselves, but in, that just wasn't my mindset. You know, when I have an activation, I learned how to push through, but I kept asking the question, there's got to be better ways. There's got to be better ways. You know, and as I evolved and adapted. I learned that I could literally go around to every system in my body and learn how to regulate it. I could learn how to regulate the system of my psychology. Okay, I could learn how to regulate the system, of my cardiology, my heart. I could regulate the system and the connection between my heart and my brain. I could regulate my emotional system. I could regulate my stress systems, my anatomic nervous system. I can also regulate biochemistry and biology and neuro. There's so much that we can regulate just through learning how to breathe, learning how to focus, learning how to talk to self you know, and understanding that, um, you know, we literally do have a trillion dollar supercomputer, you know, we are, and I say to people it's sitting between our head, but it's not, we're a bio, we're the best biotech on the market right now. And science would pay a trillion dollars to be able to replicate us, you know, but we're walking around like we're a fucking, you know, a a straw man, you know? And so for me, this journey has been the pursuit of we got this trillion dollar piece of hardware, but no no user's manual. And so for me, yes, I got given all these experiences, but by virtue of these experiences, it led me to ask questions that develop processes that not only do I use now, but I teach these to business owners. I teach these to elite professional athletes. I teach these to elite military oper- operatives. I teach these to people in high performance areas of all areas of life because the fundamentals are the same. Uh, and that's really interesting. I guess that's been probably the best part for me. Mm.
0: I can I can relate to a lot of what you're saying because uh, I ended up in in high school in year 11. We were going through like there was a lot of stresses in my life at the time, and I was failing pretty much everything. And I ended up having a massive panic attack that an ambulance was called to the school because I thought I was having a heart attack. And I remember, I just remember just like being so afraid, being so scared, being kind of like this out of body experience, but it's very real and. Mm. After that, it was sort of like this massive like, smack to the face. Like, I needed to put in systems and processes into my life that were going to serve me in a positive way because everything up until that point was all negative, was all stress, 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 stress. And I thought that I was absolutely worthless because I wasn't doing well in exams or family issues, you name it. Everything was just going pear-shaped. And... I realized how important breathing was, and the it was funny that the paramedic actually said to me, she grabs my hands and she's like, "Breathe, Jay, just breathe. It is okay. You're not having a heart attack. It's just a panic attack." Um, and then even after that, like I started adopting exercise into my life. I started like more exercise because I wasn't doing much. I started reading a lot more started meditating a little bit more praying you name it and it all sort of helped tie into because there was a lot of trauma there was a lot of stress anxiety you name it i needed to if there was going to be another attack i needed to be ready this time so i thought i'd share that (laughs) um yeah i'm curious now talking about i guess you've had six Near death experiences.
1: It's actually seven, but I stopped counting. But you know, I, I try to focus on it. To be honest, yeah.
0: So, um, you also had a stroke.
1: That was in uh, the six.
0: That was in so, the yeah. six, right? So, can you talk to me? What was the build up leading towards you having that stroke?
1: Yeah, look, it's a it's a really interesting story. I was uh, the night before I had the stroke. I was very lucky. I got invited to. Um, a discourse from uh, a spiritual leader, Dasa monk from a, a temple in India called the Oneness Temple, which is a movement over there that's just essentially trying to integrate a lot of the West Eastern principles in a Western fashion to integrate, you know, some of the spiritual aspects of the cultures. And um, this guy came over; he was about twenty eight years of age, but he'd grown up in the monastery. He walked in, you know, slim built guy in literally like a white robe. So he literally looked like an Indian Jesus. And <laughs> he walked in the room, sat down, sat down in the front. And for three and a half hours, uh, I was miserable. But what was super interesting. The first 20 minutes, he sat at the front of the room. There's like 20, 25 entrepreneurs in there. He didn't say a word. He just looked at everybody. And I could see what he was doing. He was just observing and watching the discomfort that was coming up around the room was palpable and it was entertaining. And then he started with that opening. And um, talked about three hours of life, love, philosophy, spirituality, internet, how it being an expression of consciousness and connection. And then he goes, At the end of it, I'd like to give everyone a blessing. And um, he goes, You Westerners like to call this blessing a oneness blessing, uh, but we call it a diksha. He goes, And the reason you want, uh, Westerners call it a oneness blessing is because when we give this blessing, you know, you guys like to measure everything. We've looked at the brain under an fMRI and we've observed that the parietal lobe uh, in the brain actually starts to slow down and the frontal cortexes start to become more active. And the parietal lobe is where we actually believe war is responsible for and conflict. And the frontal lobe is where we believe consciousness emanates from. And I was like, hang on a second, you mean war? Is a part of the brain responsible for war? And he said, well, yeah, it's the part of the brain that's responsible for you feeling separate from your environment. You know, it stops you bumping into things. And she goes, and so when that dissolves, um, you feel more connected. You feel a greater sense of being connected. But when it's there and you have two polarizing perspectives, depending on how polarizing and how emotional they are, that can create levels of conflict, you know, and at a cultural level that can be, you know, um, expressed as war. And so, um, oh, where was I going with this? Uh, and then I, he said, okay, I want to give you this blessing. And so he clo- puts his hands together and he starts chanting as the music plays and he puts his hands over the crown of um, the first guy's head. And I was just watching him. He goes, everyone close your eyes, but I'm like a four-year-old at the best of times. And so I'm peeking out the corner of my eye, watching what he's doing. And he gets to me and then he starts shaking. And I hear his voice start to quiver. And I open my eyes and I look up and I remember thinking to myself, oh, that doesn't – sorry, that didn't happen to the other two guys. And then all of a sudden I just felt quite blissful. Now, I've, I've been very lucky through my life. I've been exposed to a lot of – um healing modalities. Like my mother was a clairvoyant and a psychic. And so, you know, I was taught Reiki at the age of three and four without even knowing what Reiki was. And so I've been exposed to all sorts of, you know, weird and wonderful stuff. And so I know what a a legitimate energetic healing feels like. And then all of a sudden I went, oh, and I was like, wow, this dude's legit. And so I just experienced this, this blessing. And then it was maybe, I don't even know how long later it was. I came back and then I opened my eyes and I looked down and he was two or three people down and he just looked at me and smiled and I didn't think anything of it. And then it was uh 358 the next day uh i'll give you the, the, the 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 shorter version i'm standing in the kitchen with the chicken in one hand talking to my pa and then all of a sudden she looks at me and she goes i think you need to sit down Kerwin." and i was like well why and then i started to realize i was talking you know a bit weird and then i looked down and my tongue was hanging out of my mouth and i had drool just streaming down my chest um, and I started laughing cause I was just thoroughly entertained at the fact that I was doing this and, you know, in front of someone that could actually see it, not just by myself. And, um, she starts freaking out. You need to sit down and ground yourself. And I sat down to touch the floor and, you know, I had one hand that was on the floor and one hand that was twisted up here. But the crazy thing was I could actually feel the other hand on the floor. And um, then I lied down and yeah, I kind of, I had what I guess you'd say a a, um, a near death experience. I laid down and yeah, I went to a few different places. All of them were were black. There was no white light or no white tunnel, but all of them very distinct. The first one felt like I'd gone to a mobile phone network And I could just hear a whole hundreds of conversations just overlapping uh, constantly, and then um, yeah, then the second place that I went to was was almost like Q and A with God. Like I just remember asking every question I asked, I just got an answer for. Everything I thought about made sense, and it was like it's so 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 high. It's such an incredibly almost psychedelic experience where like everything in the universe made sense. And I thought about some of the craziest shit, right. Of existence. And it is, I just understood everything. And I was like, and then I get taken to this next place, which is where you can, where I was basically offered. And it, again, it wasn't some dude. There wasn't a, a button. It was just, I remember getting the feeling that you can stay or you can go. And I remember thinking, fuck, man, I've lived five lifetimes. There's no shame in me bowing now. You know, if this is my time, so be it. I remember going, look, if it's my time, I'm ready to go. And it wasn't like, a, oh, no, take me now. I was like, you know what, dude, I'm so fucking grateful for what I've been given. I'm good, you know, if you want to take me now. Uh, and then I woke up. I woke up bolt upright. And then, you know, uh, not long thereafter, got taken to the hospital. And they wanted to send me home. But there was another very persistent doctor there. And sure enough, they discovered a you know, a three quarter centimeter uh, stroke in my right parietal lobe, you know, of all places. And it was so funny because the doctors came back with the MRI. They said, you've had a stroke and the a parietal lobe. And I was like, I was only talking to this dude last night <laughs> you know, about what happens in the brain. And they're like, so is there any reason why any activity that you've engaged in that you think may have led to the stroke? And I was like, well, there was this Indian guy <laughs> who gave me this And they're like, no, 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 no. This sounds like nonsense. And I'm like, actually, no, it's not nonsense. I've got documented actual research here that I can, because the guys actually have documented FMRI research that can show you this. And they're like, no, 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 not interested in that at all. And they spent two weeks prodding me and poking me. And um, yeah, after two weeks, like we can't find anything wrong with you. We're going to have to let you go. But I had had some brain, obviously there was tissue damage there. So I had short-term memory issues, 15 second memory for a good period of time. Um, and I had syntax error. So I'd go to say words and I'd get them in the wrong order. It was really entertaining, but for me, it just created another challenge to memorize things. Uh, another challenge to, you know, learn how to (laughs) speak more effectively. Uh, and by virtue of that, you know, the doctor said you wouldn't be back at work for at least 12 months. I was back at work six weeks later. You know, and um, as a result of that experience, I've created a whole body of work around some of those questions that I asked uh, called The Power to Create. And, um, you know, it's gone on to change my life and also many other people's lives because it's helped me, you know, some of those questions I believe I asked helped me understand a lot about what I'm doing right now in terms of, you know, the performance side of life you know, because I am known as the business guy, but the reason I'm so good at the business stuff is I've got good basic strategy and tactics, but I'm really good at the mental and the performance side. Uh, And so that's for me, you know, it's being able to integrate that in a helpful way. And that experience did an incredible, uh, incredible job of doing that.
0: We'll get to the mental and performance side in a second, but I'm curious about real quickly. So you went, you said the Indian um, mystic or whatever you want to call him, he smiled at you. So I'm curious, did you ever go back and ask him, did you know that I was going to have a stroke one day? No, day. I've never spoken to that
1: guy since. So I have connected with the Oneness Temple on a number of occasions. Um, have communicated with the guy, but no, no. And look, I, I don't necessarily think he knew what was going to happen. He's, you know, he wasn't a, a clairvoyant. He was just a monk. You know, he was giving out blessings. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily on his roster. Maybe he did, but you know, he was a very probably one of the most uh, equanimous people I've ever met in my life.
0: Mm, it was just uh that just fascinated me. Like, cause he smiled at you and I'm the very next day you ended up having a stroke. I was just trying to, anyway, um, my question to you about you've, you've been able to seek out all these questions and ask people, all these high performance people, all these questions. Is there one question that you ask yourself that you haven't been able to get the answer for yet?
1: No. Oof. No, no, not that I'm aware of. Nothing that that springs to mind.
0: Mm. What would Mm. you say, what would you say then it has been the worst piece of advice you have ever received from someone?
1: (laughs) Mm. Um, Oh, the worst piece of advice that I've ever received. Um, Do it tomorrow. (laughs) I can't think of uh, like I've and the crazy thing is I've received a disproportionate amount of bad advice I think everybody who's been in business has um Okay, this is a good one. Um, making money the goal—like the worst thing you could possibly do, in my opinion, is make money the goal. And look, I've got my reasons for that personally, but there's also an enormous amount of you know behavioral research that suggests that when you focus on money as a prime objective, the A times more likely to engage in deceit, deceptive, and omittive, omissive behaviors. You know, and that's essentially fraud—some low level, or mild level, or moderate level of fraud. And so, yeah, the best piece of high advice encounter that I was given is just do what you love. And it seems so cliche, it really does.
0: Uh, no doubt, I completely get that. Like sometimes, and I've always said that the worst piece of advice ends up being the best piece of advice anyway. So it's okay. <laughs> um, I'm curious about, okay, so you, you, you teach high performance habits and skills and all that sort of stuff. Um, so for someone that wants to be a high performer, do you believe that it is something that is taught or high performers are actually born?
1: Look, I think there's a, you know, genetics always play a role, but here's what I know. I've taught this to, to people of all sizes, shapes, and forms. All uh, races, orientations, creeds, weight classes. You know, there's there's no one that really can't learn. Um, the only person who can't learn is the person who thinks they can't learn. And, you know, if you're going to categorize it, you've got two types of people based on, you know, the research from Carol Dweck. You've got people who have the growth mindset and you've got the people who've got the fixed mindset. You know, the people who've got the fixed mindset, it, it's going to be very hard to to help them because they see things as they are. The people with the growth mindset, you know, they can see things differently, you know? And so for me, that, that plays a huge role.
0: Mm. So for somebody that wanted to become like a top business person, what would you say, what what, what are some strategies that you would give them to start mm-hmm. off with? Like to set themselves up for a, a great, uh, yeah, yeah, great future.
1: As a business person, like the most important thing I think you can do is get to know who you are first because, you know, fundamentally our ability to to, to deliver comes down on our ability to do. And if we aren't aware of what our motives are and how we push our buttons to get ourselves to do the things that we don't want to do in the situations where we need to do them, then it's going to be very difficult, you know, because a lot of people look to strategy and tactics. And to me, it's an extrinsic, you know, extrinsics are easy to acquire. The hardest skill to acquire is the intrinsic ability to drive yourself in any direction you fucking choose to do any task you choose you know and that to me is 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 a skill set you know and um the more you get to know who you are the more you understand where the belts levers and the buttons are to do those things but i think you know most people don't spend enough time getting to know who they are you know in order to understand the mechanics of the hardware and the software that they're operating you know because as i said you're walking around with a trillion dollar computer but most people are running fucking word you know, and you know, if you're running Word and you need you can be running a lot more sophisticated programs, why not run a more sophisticated program? You know, at the end of the day, it's it it is a choice, but it's one that has to be made consciously. And the way that you upgrade the program is by becoming familiar with the landscape, you know, and the operating system itself and realizing that if I want to upgrade the program, how do I do that? Well, I could download a new program or hang on a second, this trillion dollar computer comes with an inbuilt programmer. You know, I can actually program myself. You know, and that in turn, you know, lays open the doorway of, oh, the more I get to know me, the more I realize I'm very suggestible to the things that I say myself on a regular basis. I'm very aware that I pursue these things more than these things. How can I associate more things with these things to be more motivated? Like there are so many little things that we can do, but you can't do that unless you know who you are. You know, and that's probably the biggest difference that I have. You know, because our client, our um, K2 Elite, like it's probably one of the most um, highly sought after programs in the world. And the reason being is about one in three or one in four will 2X to 10X in their first 12 months, 18 months. You know, and you've got to understand, yes, we have great strategies. Yes, we have great tactics, best in the world. But where we really, really thrive is in the area of performance you know, it's a mental game. Okay. It's a physical game. It's a spiritual game. And by spiritual, I mean, you know, there's a, there's something about feeling good for no good reason. There's something about feeling connected to something greater than just yourself, you know, cause that's where we really do learn more about what's possible.
0: Do you ever get sick and tired of teaching all this stuff? to people?
1: Never. I get sick and tired of teaching business stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's very, it's just very, it's, it's, it's just very, process and i love process i love strategy i love tactics but i am obsessed when it comes to human performance like an absolute obsessive
0: what's your favorite part about teaching human performance
1: seeing the results
0: Mm.
1: yeah seeing the results and seeing you know us being able to deliver results in some cases just through a video you know, and that to me is the the greatest part of what I do. I get, you know, don't get me wrong. I, once upon a time, I used to enjoy being on the stage. It's not about that anymore. And you can ask anyone who knows me in my circle. I do not, I just do not thrive in a high compliment environment. I do not look for compliments. You know, I get lots of feedback and I'm very grateful for it, but it's just not something that drives me. I'm not driven by people's high fives. I'm not driven by you're amazing. You know, I'm driven by the fact that I have, you know, I only three days ago, I got an email, a message um, on Instagram from a guy who told me 18 months ago, I was ready to take my life. Um, and not only, you know, have I decided not to take my life, I now, you know, I just opened my first business and now first month is profitable and just want to let you know, I owe you my life. You know, I owe you my life and I don't feel that as a a debt, but I feel that as a consequence of the work that I do. And I feel very privileged to be able to do that and know that the work that I do not only has great commercial benefit to help businesses perform, but it has great personal benefit. It helps improve people's lives. And that's what performance is. It's not just how do I perform better in business? How do I perform better in life? Because, and that's what I teach people. Performance is multifaceted, okay? It's it's multiordinate. And when you learn performance at the core, yes, you become a better business person, and guess what else? You become a better parent as a natural consequence. You become a better partner. You become a better lover. You become better at everything. Why? Because you become a better person, you know, and that's where, you know, I uh, I just love seeing people become better.
0: Speaking about relationships and parenting, um, I'm curious about how, or what's, what's, some, what's the, I've got so many questions racing in my head right now, but what, um, what? What advice would you give to somebody a high performer at the moment that all they are focused on is their business and not their relationships?
1: I would say um, you would probably be very successful in the area of business, and you'll probably have a you know levels of chaos and or disorganisation in in the relationship. You know, where wherever we apply attention to expands, and wherever we don't atrophies and you know, whatever we value, there'll be order, structure and appreciation and wherever we don't, there won't be. And if you don't have structure, order and appreciation in your relationship, you know, because you're too focused on work, then that's going to create its own set of issues for you. And this is one of the things that I've learned about performance. It's, you know, you know people don't realize that, yes, I've got to go and work, you know, a hundred hours a week. Yeah, you can do that, but you can also do that in the context of a very healthy relationship. And when you do it in the context of a healthy relationship, guess what? You don't have someone who's trying to stop you. You have someone who's trying to support you. <laughs> but the question is, is how do you develop a healthier relationship? Well, you get to know yourself. You get to know how to communicate in a more effective and more of a healthy way. Um, but, you know, as I've learned, it's taken me 46 years now to learn this. You know, life is a, is a balancing act. You never get it right. You're, it's like spinning plates. <clears throat> You'll have, you know, five or six going at any one time and you're in the business of every now and then you break a plate. But then you just pick up another one, you put it back up and you start spinning it again.
0: Do you have any regrets?
1: No. Why not? So it wouldn't be here. Every dis- regret is a human instinct. It's not even an instinct. It's regret, I think, is a human condition whereby we assume that something shouldn't have happened the way that it should. And we go, oh, I regret doing that, rather than having complete and utter faith and trust in knowing that that was exactly what was supposed to happen. And if it was supposed to be different, it would have been different. And it happened that way because it was supposed to. Otherwise, it would have been different. You know, when the tree falls down in the forest, you know, you don't have all these other trees around you going, oh, my God, that was terrible. No, there's a great deal of non-emotion and just a process of recomposition, you know, and that recomposition is a form of appreciation. It's the appreciation of hydration and values and fibers that can be recomposed. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and that's a lot like life. That's good. Couple more questions, boy, if you don't mind. I've enjoyed this conversation. Um, I could ask you questions like for hours, but um, I'll. This one I want to ask you. It could be another podcast entirely, but I'll ask it anyway. How have you been able to build trust, not just in business but in your relationships? And how can someone actually do that for themselves?
1: again, starts with self. The way you build trust with self is by honoring commitments. Self-trust is self-worth. And if you don't trust yourself, you won't value yourself. And so the way that we build trust is by honoring commitments. Um, And so to me, yeah, if you can learn how to honor commitments to yourself, you'll learn first and foremost, you need to stop making as, as many as you are because it's hard to honor all of them. The less commitments you make, the easier the ones are that you make to honor and the better you feel about yourself. And then you start to realize, shit, this also works with other people as well. When you do what you say you will do, people start to respect you. Uh, and that's you know, an incredibly powerful pro- part of the process is you know, creating a level of respect, I believe.
0: And who has made the greatest impact on your life that has given you a renewed perspective on life?
1: Oh, so many people. Oh gosh. I wouldn't know where to start with a response to that. Um right now it would be um my intimate family. Yeah. It would be a collective of my partner, um, my son and my new daughter. Uh, I've now inherited a new nine year old daughter. So um yeah, that to me is 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 a big part of it.
0: Mm. How what have you learned about being a father? Like um some of the lessons that you've you've gained from it?
1: <laughs> Look, I, I've learned how to become such a good business person as a result of fatherhood because it taught me a really important fundamental lesson, which is how do you lead and build trust? You know, how do you build relationships and trust? Because again, it's one thing to honor your commitments, but how do you honor a commitment to your child, you know, who can't talk and can't see you following through on a commitment? And that's where we've got to honor the energy. And so to me, you know, one of the best ways to build trust outside of you know, commitments is understanding that as parents, our fundamental role is to make kids feel safe so that they can grow, you know? And so it is an entire journey. Have you got kids, Jay? Are you, are you on the band? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you look forward to, but this is what we learn. Like our, our goal here is to develop the kids so that they can perform at their best. Okay. And they can express their potential. Okay. But oftentimes we misunderstand what that looks like. We think, you know, managing performance is yelling at people. You wouldn't yell at your fucking team member. Why would you yell at your kid? You know, yes, you might speak loud and stern and you might have strong boundaries and be very assertive, but you wouldn't smack an employee. So, why would you smack a kid? And so, I've really learned about the importance of the nonverbal dynamics of influence or leadership, as I think it's probably uh, most ethically framed because it's not about influence. It's about, you know, managing a dynamic whereby, you know, you're able to influence people with less resistance to do the right things. Um, you know, whether it be clean up their room or, you know, put their shoes on or clean up their, you know, their, their Lego. It's a, it's a process of, you can either learn how to manage parenting through domination and aggression, and that'll be a fucking conflict zone, a chaos zone, a stress zone. Okay. Or you can learn how to manage it through communication, which is going to be slower. It's going to take more time. Okay. But fundamentally, when you communicate slowly with your kids and you don't use aggression and domination, guess what? They fucking trust you. And so they're more likely to follow your direction. And guess what? The same is true with your team. You know, if you take the time, uh, you know, to build and to learn and to create a safe place um, and make them realize that making a mistake isn't a terminal thing and you can support them and provide them the resources, and they go, oh, it is actually safe for me to, you know, spread my pedals and fly. Mm.
0: And what have you noticed about, love when you had your son as opposed to when you didn't have your son
1: you don't know love until you have a child like i I, mean, I and i'm like a fucking romantic like i love to love i love the process of love um but it wasn't until i saw my son's head crown and then he came out and then over time you just have this being that you look at and you're just like i would literally you know, do anything for you. There's nothing I wouldn't do if you I'd give me my life in a second. And to me, it's just the most beautiful experience. It can be a little bit I can see how people get lost. They lose themselves in their kids because you find this object that you want to throw so much love at. But um, it's been also a great process of learning how to love, but learning how to love in a, a really interdependent way and giving him his space to grow at the same time and not loving him so much that I smother you know, his ability to to be anything other than who he is, not a combination of the two of us being, you know, one, so to speak, in a co-dynamic.
0: I feel like I could dive further into that, but I won't just now. We could, might do a part two later on, but um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about this unstoppable uh, nature that you have adopted or you've created for yourself. You've also got this amazing podcast called Unstoppable. And I'm curious about where did that, actually come from? What's the story behind it?
1: Yeah, look, I worked out early on one of the most important systems of the body to regulate for performance is psychology. And I realized that we, our brains are very suggestible. And I realized that if we tell our brain a statement, condition it over and over and over, the brain will start to believe it. Um, and so like you know, many other people, I started to create my list of commandments and my strategic programming suggestions and then I started looking for low hanging pieces of fruit. And I was like, what, are the, what is a question that I answer every single day that if the answer were to become to fruition within my psychology, if it was become a neural net and a belief system, how would that be expressed? And I was like, oh, well, hang on. Well, what's one thing I do every day? How are you? You know, And everyone asks that you know, 20, 50 times a day. And so I just got into the routine. And when people say, how are you? You know, I just say I'm unstoppable. I've been saying it now for about, gosh, like 12 years or something. And you know, it's one of those things. It's just a part of who I am now. It's a part of my psychology. Everyone knows who knows me closely knows I'm incredibly obsessive. Um, but I am just, um, yeah, I guess you could say constantly reiterating the things that I want to see expressed and unstoppable is one of them.
0: Mm-hmm. I love the unstoppable mindset, man. It's, it's so cool. Um, Thank you. my, my second last question for you, this one's a more of a fun one. Um, what is the weirdest food combination you've ever tried?
1: Oof, I've tried all sorts of crazy shit, mate. Um, <laughs> what is some really crazy shit that I've tried? Uh, scorpions. Uh, were they cockroaches or crickets? Scorpions, crickets, snails. Yeah, it was in a market in Thailand somewhere. Oh, spider as well. Oh. Yeah. But I love my food. I do love my food. Not cockroaches and spiders and, and, and scorpions, eh? but I do love my food.
0: So what, what's a guilty pleasure for you?
1: Oh, guilty pleasure. I love to cook. Myself and my partner, we're both incredibly good cooks. So look, I'll be honest. There's nothing more than a good taco Tuesday. I do have to say we love taco Tuesday in our house, but anything I'm, um, I, you know, I can cook quite clean, but I love gosh, steaks, fish, seafood, you know, clean food, um, and I'm on the pastas a little bit, but, um, yeah, more on the clean. I try to stay on the clean food steaks.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's cool, man. Um, My last question for you, this is my all-time favorite question that I ask all my guests at the end. So you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic. They got it and they show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
1: Gosh. Yeah, I'm not good at these questions. I would like my film to ideally contain as few swear words as possible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, right <at> G. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Look, I, I like it would I'd like it to contain, you know, some of the most precious memories that have come from things that I've said to the people that have been most important to me throughout the different stages of my life, you know? Because I think, you know, we go through life and we get to the end of the life and we have people around us, but there's been so many people through our lives that have supported us in different ways that aren't, you know either in our life, either due to orbit or, you know, even mortality. And so I'd love to, yeah, sit back and look at all the special moments where I've got the opportunity to have an impact in someone's lives, you know, over the years by saying something that's actually made a real difference.
0: Mm. I'd watch that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: And where can people find you and connect with you, man?
1: You guys can find me everywhere. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, where else have we got? TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, Telegram, we're everywhere, mate. So yeah. And even curlandray.com for those of you who want some free resources. We've got a lot of performance tools uh, on the website, a lot of business tools on the website for free. So if you guys want to get in there and get some stuff to get things ramping up in any area of your life, then yeah, curlandray.com.
0: And also check out his amazing podcast too. Oh, yeah, Unstoppable. Fuck, that'd be good. Plug that. yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, man, for your story and, and everything that you're doing out there in the world. Huge fan. So thank you so much for coming to the Storybox podcast.
1: Bless you, Jay. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you.
0: I don't like this part because it means, sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have feel inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it'll go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time.